Well, this morning uh, we come to learn, in a sense, uh, from two different uh, men with their two different responses uh, to the difficult positions that they found themselves in uh, at the coming of the Christ. Uh, The two men uh, we encountered in that passage that Charles read for us, uh, Joseph, on the one hand, husband or betrothed of Mary, and Herod. And we're going to see how they responded to the challenges that Jesus presented so that we can be helped in considering how we respond uh, to the Christ who has come. Now, a long, long time ago, not quite as long ago as the events uh, of the first Christmas, but almost, uh, I was a primary school teacher. Uh, It's... it's, uh, 20-something years uh, since I taught in the classroom. Uh, And it was a short career, uh, a grand total of two years, actually, uh, that I taught primary school. But I didn't need too long uh, to work out what I thought was one of the golden rules of primary school, and that is beware of children whose names start with the letter J. Uh, Now, apologies to anyone here whose name starts with the letter J or who has children or grandchildren whose names start with the letter J, but maybe you'll actually recognise the truth in what I'm about to say anyway. Now, when I say children whose names start with the letter J, let me be clear, I'm not talking about the girls. Uh, I'm not talking about Jasmine, sweet Jasmine, never put a foot wrong. I'm not talking about Jessica, hard-working Jessica, always with her head down. Or Julia, so helpful around the classroom. No, I'm talking about Jaden. <laughs> Don't turn your back on a kid called Jaden. You never know uh, what's waiting for you. Josh, Josh, get back here. You're not allowed out there. You know that. Josh, back in the classroom. Julian, Julian, how many times have I told you that is not okay? Kids with J names, boys with J names, hard work. Now, perhaps you can see where this is headed uh, because we just read about a child uh, with a J name, a boy, in fact. Jesus starts with J, in English at least. Uh, Jesus starts with J. He would have got away with it uh, back in his day with the kind of Y sound of Yeshua. Uh, or even of Jesus, Uh, but Jesus starts with J. And you know what? Everything we know about Jesus as a child points to him being a handful, a challenge. And I'm not just talking about that 12-year-old incident. Remember that one? (laughs) Yeah, where he went AWOL uh, in Jerusalem. The family were travelling back home and he was nowhere to be found. Three days later... They found him in the temple. Didn't you know, he said. (laughs) I had to be in my father's house. No, we didn't know. We've been worried to death. I'm talking also about Jesus as a baby. Jesus as a baby was a real challenge. What I hope uh, that we see today is that what was true of Jesus as a baby is actually true of Jesus to this day. Jesus isn't actually little Jesus, meek and mild. And if that's your picture of Jesus, then you are deeply mistaken. 
Jesus is a very challenging figure, a very challenging person. And if you haven't recognised that, then you haven't really met him. So let's uh, take a look and see uh, about the challenge, see the challenges that he presented even as a baby and consider uh, what that might mean for us today. Uh, from chapter 1, uh, and you'll notice these stories appear back to back, uh, the story of Joseph and then the story uh, of Herod. And it's interesting, it's one of the features of uh, Matthew's uh, birth narrative of Jesus that uh, where Luke approaches things very much from the perspective of Mary, uh, Matthew comes from the perspective of Joseph. So we read in verse 18 of chapter 1, uh, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now pledged, you probably uh, get the idea there, I guess we might call it engaged, uh, you know, promised uh, is the idea. It was probably an arrangement that was made between the two families, the parents of Mary and the parents of Joseph, may have even been set up uh, quite some time ago, but what appears to be the case is that their marriage is now uh, imminent. Sounds like their marriage is now coming up. It's imminent. But, notice that, we, the next word, uh, she's pledged to be married to Joseph, but. And that's not good. No engaged couple wants to have a but appear at that point, something uh, that could derail uh, things altogether. And that's exactly what has happened because we read, but before they came together, uh, which was kind of the seal of a marriage, so the consummation of a marriage, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, this is... Uh, what's what's uh, given to us here, what's described to us here, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit and that's likely to be how Mary explained things to Joseph. If you go to Luke and you read uh, about the visit of the angel to Mary, that's how it was explained to her in the first instance and uh, how I imagine she would have uh, tried to explain it to Joseph. Now I wonder what Joseph made of that news from his betrothed. I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I wonder what you would have made of that. What's, what's really gone on here? I mean, we know how a woman becomes pregnant, don't we? What's happened? Has, has Mary had some fling, some passer through, just stopped in for the night and found himself in her bed? Has she been fooled by someone, duped, someone who claimed to be some religious figure or the Holy Spirit in human form? Has she been duped? Well, one thing we can be sure of, Joseph knew that the baby wasn't his. That's for certain. And I think we can be fairly confident that it would have been hard for him to swallow the whole Holy Spirit thing. Imagine being in Joseph's shoes. It would have been emotionally heartbreaking, don't you think? To learn that his betrothed was pregnant with someone else's child. It would have been socially humiliating for him. 
the prospect of how on earth are we going to manage this? What happens when everybody finds out? Because they will find out. It's going to become obvious, the timing and everything. They're either going to think it is my child, which is not going to go down well, or they're going to know it's not my child, which is going to be terrible as well. Joseph found himself caught between a rock and a hard place. In fact, it's quite possible that the incident of uh, Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem uh, and not being able to find anywhere to stay, even though it was their ancestral home and all their family and aunties and uncles and cousins and parents and grandparents and everybody else would also have been there, and yet they couldn't find anywhere to stay, even though Mary was so clearly in need of somewhere to stay, it's quite likely that that was the result of this situation, this humiliating affair, if we can put it that way. What would you have done if you were Joseph? What a challenge this baby was presenting to him. Well, we find out what Joseph did or what he planned to do in the next verse, in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Through no fault of his own, Joseph is in this horrible dilemma. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing by the Jewish law and so perhaps save his own reputation. But to his credit, he also wants to protect Mary's reputation. The best thing that he can think of is a quick and quiet divorce. But before he can sign the papers, God intervenes and verifies Mary's story. Verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The angel confirms Mary's story about the Holy Spirit including what the baby is to be called, Jesus, and what his name means. Literally, the Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins, the angel says. And notice his people, a people that belong to him. And then Matthew gives us a little extra in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this isn't some out of the blue random event that Joseph finds himself caught up in. In this birth, in this baby, God is keeping an old, old promise a big, grand promise. It's the promise that God is coming. God is coming to be with his people. 
God is coming to deal with their sins, the cause of their separation from him. God is coming as a human baby, fully God, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and fully human, born of a virgin woman. God is coming. Now, how much of that Joseph understood, we don't know. Likely not much, to be honest. A lot to grapple with there. But he understood enough to know what he had to do. So he swallowed his pride. He set aside his suspicions. And he accepted his part in God's huge plans. He chose to stick by his wife and provide a home and a family for her and for her child, not knowing how it would turn out and regardless of what it would cost him, he made those choices. In other words, he chose to throw his lot in with Jesus. Now, I think that Joseph's experience and his example are worth us reflecting on because it strikes me that identifying with Jesus, especially identifying very closely with Jesus, saying, I belong to him and he belongs to me, that is always going to be costly. It was for Joseph and it ought to be for us. In fact, Jesus said it would be Again and again and again, he kept telling his disciples, those who would follow Jesus, it would cost. It would cost them in reputation, in respectability, in the opinion of the world. So, for example, in Mark 8.34, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. It's not about you anymore must take up their cross. There is a burden to carry and follow me. In Luke 6.26, he says to a crowd, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. In John 15.19, again he says to his disciples, If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world And that is why the world hates you. You see how it works? Association with Jesus, identifying with Jesus, belonging to Jesus, it doesn't make you popular in the eyes of the world. He is a challenging figure. He challenges the world. Will we stand with him? Identifying with Jesus puts you out of step with the world. Identifying with Jesus means believing things that most people will think sound foolish. The virgin birth is just the start. Turning water into wine, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, calming a storm with a word. What gullible fool would believe such things? And then... There are his claims, son of God, saviour of the world, risen from the dead, the only way to God. Are these popular things? 
let anyone know you believe that stuff and you can kiss any hopes of their good opinion goodbye. And the stakes could be even higher than their opinion. So wouldn't it just be easier to divorce him quietly? Which I reckon is a pretty good description of what a lot of us do a lot of the time. We keep our association with Jesus quiet. We count the cost and we close our mouths and we keep our heads down. Folks, it would have been hard for Joseph to take pregnant Mary home to be his wife, to go to work and cop the sly jibes of the other workers, to endure the whispers and the slights of respectable people. But man, I'm glad he did it. I'm glad for him. I'm glad for the whole world that he did it. I'm glad that Mary had a faithful husband and that together they made a stable home, pardon the pun, for their children. I'm glad that little Jesus was nurtured physically and spiritually and that he was taught God's word from an early age so that when the time came for him to save his people from their sins, he was ready. I think Joseph's faithfulness is a great lesson to us that though it will cost us identifying with Jesus, throwing our lot in with him, playing our part in God's big plans is always worth it. But Joseph wasn't the only grown man to be challenged by little baby Jesus. As Matthew continues his account in chapter 2, He tells the story of the Magi from the East, the three wise men, as we often refer to them, who visit the palace in Jerusalem in search of the one who has been born King of the Jews. Now, while the Magi themselves, I reckon, are some of the most fascinating characters in the Christmas story, and we often get them wrong, for starters, we don't know there were three, we don't know enough about them to know if they were truly wise, We actually don't even know that they were men, for for sure, probably, but anyway. So we don't know a whole lot about them. They are interesting, enigmatic characters, but we're not going to really focus on them this morning, uh, but rather we want to give our full attention to Herod so that we can compare and contrast his response to Jesus uh, to that of Joseph. First, uh, there is a similarity. As with Joseph, the momentous news concerning Jesus put Herod in a difficult position. The prospect of being a second-rate king was no more palatable to Herod than being a second-rate father would have been to Joseph. The difference, though, between Joseph and Herod was that where Mary's pregnancy and Jesus' birth challenged Joseph's respectability, for Herod, it was his authority that was under threat. And that's because even though Herod, known as Herod the Great, (laughs) uh, who was a powerful man, he wasn't and had no claim to be the Messiah. 
And did you notice right at the start of the reading, we read, this is how the birth of the Messiah, of Jesus the Messiah, came about. This is not just any king, any king of Israel. This is the king of Israel. If it's true, then this is the king of Israel. And it's clear from verse 4 that Herod believed that's who the wise men were searching for. Do you notice? They don't use the word Messiah, but he does. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. If this baby turned out to be the Messiah, Herod's reign was all but over. But Herod was famous for how ruthless he was prepared to be to hold on to his power and his authority. So first by stealth, trying to trick the Magi into coming back and revealing the location of the Messiah. And then when that didn't work, by a barbaric act of murder of children, Herod tried to deal with this challenge to his authority that the baby Jesus represented. And again, I think we need to stop at that moment and recognise that there is something in this for us too. Because I think that Herod was not stupid. He actually saw what was true. And what he saw was this. There can only be one king. There can only be one king. It was true for Herod and it's true for us as well. We either bend the knee to Jesus or we reject him altogether. There's no in-between. Grudging obedience won't cut it. Cool indifference isn't an option when it comes to the Messiah, the Christ. He is God's king. Not just God's king over Israel, but God's king over the world. He's come to rule the world by setting up his throne in every human heart. That's the kind of king he is. And so it's really important that you and I reckon with this, just as Herod reckoned with the challenge of Jesus. Have you bowed to King Jesus? Does your life declare the reign of Jesus? Have you followed in the footsteps of the Magi from the east and laid your treasures down, laid your life down before the Son of God? Do you worship him? Or like Herod, are you still trying to be king in the place of Jesus, ruling your own life? Honestly, who is on the throne? You see how challenging Christmas is? We need to weigh this up. Joseph and Herod both had to deal with a challenging child whose name, unsurprisingly, started with J. For Joseph, identifying with Jesus, Jesus meant giving up his good name. For Herod, the challenge was to his authority. Jesus is no longer a child, but he's still throwing out the challenges. How will you respond? Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, and we're so good at missing the point, really, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to Christmas. It's too easy for us to make assumptions and to not really face up to how he is presented in your word. That he is presented as your true son given authority to rule the world through human hearts. Father, he is the righteous one who deserves all glory and honour and praise. Please help us by your spirit to examine our response to him, to see where we fall short, to seek your forgiveness, to see more clearly how worthy he is, that we might repent well and honour Jesus in our lives. We pray in his name. Amen.